Today we'll be looking at Jonah chapter 3. When most people think about Jonah, they think about the great fish that swallows God's prophet. And that may be the only message that you have heard concerning this book. But actually, the most interesting parts about the book of Jonah come after that. In the text that we will look at this morning, a whole city repents. We see one of the biggest revivals in the history of the world. And the fact that Jonah has such a bad attitude about it, he throws a hissy fit in chapter 4. We'll look at that next week. But let's look at Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would come, and through the Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and ears and hearts, and by your word, help us to kill sin, that you would work faith and give grace and help us to follow you as you Lead us, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, we have one of the greatest revivals ever documented. It may be the greatest revival in the history of the world. An entire city was converted and believed God in one single day from one simple message. Oftentimes when we think of that word revival, we think of a a great big tent in the center of the city promoting some guest preacher coming to bring revival next week. But often what we call revival is actually called revivalism. Revivalism is a planned event that is designed to stir the emotions in spirituality of those who uh, attend a certain meeting. But that is not revival. Revivalism is manufactured 
and man-centered and often manipulates people into a response. And in our text this morning, we have a true revival happening in a place that no one would ever expect. And it has a very specific response. We'll be looking at our text this morning in three different sections. We're going to see Jonah's second chance. We're going to see Nineveh's repentance and then God's compassion and forgiveness. And the main point, which I hope you see in the text this morning, is this. God's compassion towards sinners should lead his people to proclaim his word and pray for revival. God's compassion towards sinners should lead his people to proclaim his word and pray for revival. All right, well, we see in verses 1 and 2 that Jonah gets a second chance. You see that in verses 1 and 2, chapter 3? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah the first time, what did he do? He fled. Jonah went in the opposite direction. He boarded a ship to Tarshish. And then when God sent a storm his way to get his attention, he decided that he would rather be thrown overboard into the sea than to go to Nineveh. He would rather die than go to Nineveh. And instead of allowing Jonah to die, God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah and save him. And while Jonah is thankful to God for saving him, he is still unrepentant. Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish is so full of hypocrisy that the fish vomits Jonah out upon the dry land. So probably after cleaning the fish vomit off himself, the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. This call is very similar to the first time, but there is a significant difference in the wording. In chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Lord says, go and call out against it. Here in chapter 3, the Lord says, go and call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah doesn't get to decide what he proclaims. He must proclaim exactly what the Lord tells him. And Jonah takes the second chance. He goes to Nineveh. He obeys. Look at verse 3. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah obeyed. Now I doubt that he enjoyed it. I bet he did it with a little bit of reluctance. But he knew that God was going to get his way, one way or another. He obeyed, even though he didn't feel like it. God doesn't always call us to things that we enjoy or feel like doing. We are sinful people, and there are going to be times when we don't feel like obeying. But God calls us to obedience, not to live by sight, but by faith. And often, 
Our love of obedience actually follows our act of obedience. Jonah obeys. But let's be honest. If we were on the mission board deciding who goes on the mission to Nineveh, I doubt any of us would have given Jonah a second chance, right? We would have had enough of this guy. But here in these first three verses in chapter three, we encounter yet again the grace of God. Jonah, as we saw last time, has not yet actually repented, and yet God is still showering him with mercy. This is how God operates. He's not like us. His grace abounds. And we see this all throughout Scripture. We we see this in the life of the Apostle Peter. Peter very boldly and pridefully told Jesus that although all others would abandon him, that he would not. And Jesus reveals to Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And Peter did just that. Peter denied Jesus three times. But God was not done with Peter. Jesus appears to Peter later on and recommissions him to feed his sheep. Peter got a second chance. This is our God. He is a God of second chances. Consider how many times God has given us another chance. None of us would be where we are in our faith if it weren't for God's mercy in our lives. Jonah received a second chance, and if we look at our own lives, we're way beyond that, right? Way beyond that second chance. Praise God for his mercy, amen? And then in the text here, in verse three, there's this little pause where the narrator briefly describes the city of Nineveh. Look at verse 3. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. The mention of Nineveh being an exceedingly great city points to the fact that God viewed this city as important. God had a specific plan for the city of Nineveh. Think of the lengths that he went through to get Jonah there. And Nineveh was huge, a three days journey in breath. This means that it would take Jonah three days to preach God's message throughout the entire city. And like we mentioned before, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And the Assyrians were one of Israel's major enemies. They were a ruthless and evil people who did wicked things. I was kind of debating if I was going to mention the evil things that they did. And I just figured, just for y'all's sakes, I'm not going to mention what they did. But it was evil and twisted things. They would attack other nations just for the fun of it, to destroy them and plunder them. It went against every fiber of Jonah's being to travel to Nineveh and warn them of God's judgment. But he obeyed the Lord. And so what was Jonah's message to the Ninevites? It was five words in Hebrew, nine words in English. Look at verse four. 
Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not the most heartwarming sermon you ever heard. Jonah's not proclaiming a live your best life now message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Was this all he said or just a summary of what he said? We do not know. But imagine what it would be like for a Hebrew prophet to walk through the city gates of Nineveh and proclaim this message. Imagine if I were to go downtown Elgin even and proclaim, 40 days and Elgin shall be overthrown. What would happen? People would think I'm crazy. It doesn't seem like that great of a message. But look at the response it produces. Something out of the ordinary happened. The people actually listened. Remember, God tells Jonah to proclaim the message that he gives to him. This was God's message. Jonah is simply there to deliver a message. He is a herald. He is saying what God's word says, nothing more, nothing less. And that's why in verse 5, as the people listened to Jonah's message, the people believed God. Jonah was the one calling out. But God was the one who was talking. God was the one who was revealing their sin. He was the one who was working in their hearts. And that's what's supposed to happen in our preaching. There's pressure from the culture today to give a message that an unbeliever can connect with. Some people say, people aren't interested in the Bible. Don't mention sin. The problem with that argument is the fact that God's word has not said that. God gives light to darkened human hearts through his word. Romans chapter 10 says this, faith comes through hearing the word of God. Even the ability to hear is given as it's proclaimed. And so as we faithfully preach what God has said in his word, we have to trust him to work in the hearts of those who hear. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that his preaching was not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that people's faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. God is the one who is talking. The people don't believe Jonah, even though Jonah is the one who is speaking, they believe God. James Montgomery Boyce said this, faith should never rest in the messenger, but in God who gives the message. This is one mark of all true revival and true preaching. We must preach what God wants us to say, not what we think people want to hear. At first, taking a look at this message, it kind of sounds like bad news, right? 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
But looking closer, Jonah actually preached the bad news and the good news in this short sentence. Because the Hebrew word for overthrown actually has two different meanings. It can mean destruction, but it can also mean a turning upside down or a change of heart. The bad news, if the Ninevites don't respond with repentance, means that they will be destroyed. The good news is, if they respond in repentance, God will show mercy. The city will either be overthrown or turned upside down. Jonah's message was direct, it was simple, and it was clear. In God's grace, he gave Jonah a second chance. And Jonah obeyed and proclaimed the message that God told him. And in verses 5 through 9, we see how Nineveh responds. Nineveh responds in repentance. According to verse 4, Jonah was only on day one of his preaching tour. And as he proclaims this message, God sends revival to a pagan city. As Jonah called out, the people stopped to listen. You could imagine the scene. The people are going about just their daily lives. People are trading, they're shopping in the market. The city is buzzing with life. And as Jonah gets to a place in the town square, he clears his throat and proclaims this message. And the city that was once full of noise gets very quiet. What's going to happen? Are they going to laugh? Are they going to hurt Jonah? Then there is this call from all the people to stop what they are doing and humble themselves. A city full of unbelievers, people who had no interest in God or his word, just moments ago immediately repent of their sins and believe in God all in one day. Whoa. This story vindicates open-air preaching, right? We may feel uneasy about the people who stand on the street corners calling people to repent, but let me tell you this morning that God can actually use that. And as you pass by those people, instead of thinking them as crazy people, pray for them. Pray that God would use the message that they're saying the message that God has given them to save people. I follow this guy on social media named Juan Elias Riesco. He owns a deli in Chicago called Nini's Deli. Almost every day, Juan heads to a street corner and proclaims the gospel and calls people to repent. And there are people who walk by and hear the gospel and respond. People get saved through Juan's preaching ministry on the streets. And I've been challenged and encouraged by this man's boldness to proclaim God's message to lost sinners. We might never have a response like Jonah did in the city of Nineveh. But Jesus said, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I know that my witness to the lost needs more boldness. 
I need to be more intentional with my time. I need to get over the fear of potentially being humiliated, inconvenienced, or even attacked. And I know that I'm not alone in this. We all need to grow in the area of evangelism and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we desire a revival within our city, it's going to start with us humbling ourselves, seeing our disobedience of not doing what God has called us to do in his word. He has given us a message and he has told us to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And can we honestly say that we've done a great job at that? I know I can. Maybe I do that here. But when I walk out those doors, not as much. God forgive me. We need to repent of our sin of disobedience and then obey. Taking the second chance that the Lord has given us to witness to people at our work, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, at the grocery store, at the coffee shop, even on the street corner. And we're not guaranteed a revival. That's not what I'm saying. We're not guaranteed a revival. This revival in Nineveh was a supernatural work of God. It's a miracle. It's a bigger and better miracle than that great fish in chapter two. God wanted to show his mercy to an undeserving city. Why? I mean, maybe to provoke the people of Israel to a holy jealousy that they themselves would repent and turn back to God, but also because it's in God's nature to show mercy. This is who he is. God sovereignly brought about revival in the city of Nineveh. Scholars estimate that the population was around 600,000 people. Hundreds of thousands of people turned from their sins and believed in God. Some question if this was a genuine revival or just some superstitious response. Well, based on Jesus' words in the New Testament, at least for the majority of the population of Nineveh, they came to faith in God. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Jesus wouldn't say that these people were unbelievers. They believed God. How do we explain this event, though? Jonah chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. This was God's work in the hearts of sinful people. Even their repentance was a gift from him. We see that in 2 Timothy 2.25. Revival is something that God does in the hearts of people as they hear the word of the Lord preached in the demonstration of the Spirit in power. 
You cannot manufacture revival. And as we see how the Ninevites respond to God's message, we see the true marks of revival. So what are the true marks of revival? The first mark is faith. Notice that the Ninevites did did more than just hear Jonah's message. As soon as they heard, they responded in belief. Verse 5 says that they believed God. And that phrase, believe God, is used in other parts of Scripture to describe Israelites who responded by putting their faith and trust in the Lord. And this entire city, hundreds of thousands of people believe that Jonah's God is living and real. Here is saving faith. The first mark is faith. The second mark is deep and true repentance. Wherever wherever there's saving faith, there is also a repentant heart. The people called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. This was a common way of expressing grief and humility and penitence. Fasting was a way to humble yourself before God and devote time to confess your sins to him. Sackcloth was a sign of mourning, similar to us wearing black clothing to a funeral. It was a sign of of mourning, of sadness. Sackcloth was similar to like a burlap sack, so it was very uncomfortable and itchy as you wore it. And in the context of repentance, it was a way of saying that I'm grieving because of the wrong that I have done. And as soon as Jonah proclaimed his message, these people were undone. God revealed their sins, and they humbled themselves and were mourning their sins. Could you imagine Jonah at this moment? The whole city is now turned upside down. They took the second option. They repented in one day. And it's almost impossible not to notice the contrast between the Ninevites and God's prophet. It took Jonah three days to reach the point to where he could utter his prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. But here Jonah is only on day one, and the people are already turning to the Lord. Once more, the pagans are far more spiritually sensitive and humble than the Hebrew prophet. Did you notice that even before the king's proclamation, the people declared a fast and put on sackcloth? They were individually feeling the sorrow over their own sin. But not only does the general public, general public repent, the king, when he hears the word of the Lord, he is cut to the heart. Notice how he humbles himself. Take a look at verse 6. He steps away from the throne. He acknowledges, in a way, that God is the only sovereign king. He takes off his robe, and he puts on sackcloth, and he sits down in ashes, which is another sign of deep grief in the ancient world. And in the span of one verse... This Assyrian Ninevite 
king goes from supreme authority to extreme humility. And he issues this proclamation. Look at verse 7. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. He, he calls the entire city to the most extreme forms of repentance. No one is allowed to eat or drink. Everyone needs to wear sackcloth, including the animals. You can think about it. That's kind of funny, right? Chickens walking around with sackcloth on them. The whole city must pray to God. The whole city must pray to Jonah's God. While the repentance here is extreme, it shows just how genuine their sorrow for their sins really was. There is a deep and true repentance in a genuine revival. And the third and last mark of true revival and probably one of the most important is a turning from specific sin. In verse 8, the king says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This king realizes that these outward signs of repentance like fasting and praying and sackcloth are useless if it's not accompanied by a change a change of life. The Ninevites turn away from their sin of violence. And we too must turn from our specific sins, whether that's our sexual indulgence, our pride, our selfishness, lack of love for our Christian brothers and sisters, laziness, our materialism, Whatever it may be, we don't repent in vague terms. We must repent specifically. And as the king tells the people to repent and turn from their sin, he says in verse 9, like the captain of the ship in chapter 1, who knows? Maybe, maybe God will turn and relent. Turn from his fierce anger that we may not perish. He doesn't know if their repentance will even be accepted. But he hopes that Jonah's God will see it and have mercy on the people. There's no false confidence here. But there is a real recognition of the sinfulness of their sin. The people of Nineveh, including their king, are cast entirely on God's grace. They forsake their rebellion and they seek his pardon. So we have seen Jonah's second chance, Nineveh's repentance, and now God's compassion and forgiveness. And as they cried to God, 
he hears them and he answers them. Do you notice the content of the prayer that the king calls for in verse 9 is very similar to the content and God's response to verse 10? The king says, turn from your evil ways. And in verse 10, God saw how they turned from their evil way. Verse 9, who knows, the king said, maybe God will relent. Verse 10, God relented. God relented. What compassion and mercy. He truly is, as we read earlier, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 8, it says this, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do with it. Nineveh turned from its evil, and God relented. He is faithful to what he says in his word. And he redeems those who repent. And if God does this, then that that means that there's no nation, there's no city, there's no person who cannot find mercy in the God of the Bible. God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9 he wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4 God does not turn anyone away who seeks his mercy, no matter how wicked or wayward they are. But there is coming a day of judgment when God will announce his just verdict and condemn every unbeliever to Hell. If you are not trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation, hell will be your final destination. And you're not saved by your parents' faith. Your good works cannot save you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. So seek the Lord while he may be found. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. He died the just for the unjust to bring us to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that is the good news of the gospel. Sin has been paid for. Salvation has been accomplished and forgiveness is purchased for every sinner who repents and believes in Jesus. And when you come to Jesus, seeking his mercy because of who he is and all that he has done, you cannot be denied. God must save you because his son shed his blood for all, for all who will come to him and find pardon. The Lord never turned anyone 
away who came to him seeking mercy. Not the Ninevites, not you. So won't you come and seek God's mercy? Turn from your sins and find forgiveness in Jesus. God's mercy is for the unbeliever, but it's also for us believers. The Christian life is a constant life of faith and repentance. We also are sinners in our need for God's mercy, and we need to repent. And for those of us who have experienced that mercy and grace of Jesus, our hearts should burn with the desire for others to experience it as well. There is a great need in our church, in our entire city, for the presence of God to come down and bring deep conviction of sin and repentance. Elgin is in need of a revival, but it's not in our power to reach this city if God does not come down. And so we need to pray and constantly be praying for a revival. As we begin to obey the great commission the Lord has given us, being recipients of mercy, we should be instruments of mercy among our friends, our neighbors, and our communities, and continue to cry out to God that as his word is proclaimed in our weakness and in our trembling, that his power and his spirit would work in the hearts of those who hear. Calvary, let us pray urgently that as we preach the word of God, that God might bless it and he might save many. God's compassion towards sinners should lead his people to proclaim his word and pray for revival. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we call out to you. We ask you that you would send a true revival our way. Lord, that it would start in our own hearts, in this church, and that it would flood all throughout our city. Lord, we pray that the preaching of your word would bear much fruit in the lives of your people and through your people in the lives of those who hear us proclaim this message. We know that nothing can happen unless you come down, unless it is your will, unless you bless it. So Lord, we pray that you would come and have mercy on us and use us as instruments of mercy on others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.